0: It's time for... Lombardi Memories. A show that takes you back in time, into January or February, to the greatest one-day spectacle in all of sports. This is the Every Other Tuesday podcast that looks back at each and every one of the 50-plus Super Bowls and tells the story of who won and why. For the fan who needs more than just a box score... This podcast goes drive-by-drive, play-by-play, through the most dramatic games in history. I'm your host, Tommy A. Phillips, and we begin with Super Bowl I, or more correctly, the first AFL-NFL World Championship game. That's what its official name was. The logo for Super Bowl I you see in various places which says, first world championship game, AFL versus NFL, that's an anachronism. The only logo used in the Axel Super Bowl was a crown on top of a football with the year 1967 written on it with NFL in blue and AFL in red. So that logo that you see used most places for the first Super Bowl, it isn't really the real one. The game was played on January 5th. 15th 1967 to put a cherry on top of the 1966 season. Now this podcast has a school theme. There's a pop quiz at the beginning of every podcast, and then I give you homework at the end of every podcast. So my pop quiz question today is: Who was the only member of the Green Bay Packers who did not play in even one? down in this game? I'll have you think about that one, and I'll have the answer for you near the end of this podcast. The stories of the first Super Bowl have been told so many times I have them memorized, and maybe so do you. For example, how did the Super Bowl get its name? It came because Lamar Hunt, founder of the AFL, the American Football League, saw his children playing with a toy known as a Super Ball. To most of us, you'd probably refer to it as a bouncy ball, but the trademark name was Super Ball. So he was at a planning meeting for what was going to become the Super Bowl, and he accidentally blurted out the name Super Bowl because he was thinking about his kid's toy. He thought it was a corny name and that they could come up with something better. In hindsight, there's probably no better name for a sporting event ever. Did you know that the FIFA World Cup trophy isn't even a cup? The World Series is North America only, not Japan involved in it. And the NBA Finals, I mean, what a boring name that is. But the Super Bowl is a perfect name for a championship. And it's all because of those bouncy balls you can buy for a quarter at your local pizza hut. Super Bowl One was held at Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. I've attended an NFL game there where when the Rams were playing there uh, back in 2016. And I also got a tour of the Coliseum. It is an amazing place. If you were going to start anything that, you know, was going to turn into a historical sporting event, there couldn't be any better place to play such a game and that's where it started at, was the LA Memorial Coliseum. Now, that didn't mean that there weren't some hiccups with the first Super Bowl being held there. Tickets for the game were $12, and that was an exorbitant price in that day. Fans didn't want to pay it. As a result, the stadium for the first Super Bowl was half empty, and the game was blacked out in Los Angeles. By the way, the NFL continued to blackout Super Bowls in the host city of the Super Bowl for quite some time, even though uh, future Super Bowls sold out. It was called the AFL NFL World Championship game, and that's because we had two rival leagues pitting their champions against each other. The National Football League had been around since 1920 and it was the old and established league with a great reputation. Think of them like the Big Ten Conference in college football. Its champion, the Green Bay Packers, had won three NFL titles the last five years, and they won a fourth in 1966 with a 34-27 victory in the Cotton Bowl over the Dallas Cowboys. The Packers have won six titles before the 60s and another three NFL championships since 1961, and they just won their fourth NFL championship over Dallas. Think of the Packers as the Ohio State Buckeyes, the team that wins the conference nearly every year, and even the years they didn't, they were still one of the top teams. Now we come to the American Football League. It was started up in 1960 with Lamar Hunt as one of the founders. It had a wide-open style of play, lots of passing, high scores, and role changes such as the two-point conversion. But the AFL had a bad reputation when it came to how good the teams in it were. No one from the NFL believed in the AFL. They thought of the AFL the same way we think of, say the Sunbelt Conference, in college football. Yes, they play fun, exciting football, but really they have no chance of knocking off the number one team of the number one league. So you can imagine not too many people thought this game meant anything, and that was partially why the game didn't sell out. It would be sort of like Ohio State playing the raging Cajuns of Louisiana Lafayette, a week after going down to the wire in a suit-out with Miss again. So the Packers were big favorites, but they had a lot of pressure on them. Head coach Vince Lombardi felt the weight of the NFL world on his shoulders. Should the Packers lose, the NFL would immediately be discredited, and it would be nothing less than a public relations disaster. The NFL guys were glad it was the Packers in the Super Bowl, and not another team, because they felt they could trust Lombardi to win this game for them. Meanwhile, the AFL champions had nothing to lose. Kansas City beat Buffalo 31-7 in the AFL title game to advance to the Super Bowl. No one gave head coach Hank Stram and company a chance to win. If they could at least keep the score competitive, though, that would be a win for the AFL. In order for the NFL people to be satisfied, the Packers would have to completely blow out the Chiefs. And this was the only Super Bowl that was televised by two networks. CBS was the NFL network, and NBC was the AFL network, and they each televised the game. After this Super Bowl, CBS and NBC went into a rotation, with CBS covering Super Bowl two and NBC covering Super Bowl III, and so on from there. The Packers won the coin toss and elected to receive. Defensive back Herb Adderley returned the opening kickoff to the 25. Veteran running back Jim Taylor gained about three yards on the first play from scrimmage in Super Bowl history. Running back Elijah Pitts took the next handoff, getting within a yard of the first down, and Taylor picked that up on third down, getting the first first down in Super Bowl history. And then came one of the most famous stories in Super Bowl history, something that's turned into a tall tale of sorts. Uh, Starting Packers receiver Boyd Dowler went down with a shoulder injury, so backup Max McGee had to come in to replace him. But McGee had been out on the town all night long, breaking curfew, hanging out with women, staying up to 6 a.m., and he had a horrible hangover. So his hope was that he wouldn't be necessary to play in this game. Moreover, he didn't even bring his own helmet out to the field. So whenever Dowler went down, McGee had to borrow a teammate's helmet and step up as Art Star's primary receiver; the rest, as they say, is history. McGee couldn't catch the first pass thrown his way; it fell incomplete. The Chiefs then brought the pressure on Star. Defensive tackle Buck Buchanan sacked him for an 11-yard loss. On third down, linebacker Bobby Bell sacked him again for another four yards of lost yardage and that brought on punter Don Chandler, and he kicked it away, and the ball ended up at the Kansas City 37. Chiefs quarterback Len Dawson's first pass of the Super Bowl was caught by receiver Chris Burford, but he was out of bounds, and it was correctly ruled incomplete. Running back Mike Garrett bounced off the tackler and gained four yards, then Dawson fired to Burford again, and this one counted for a first down into Green Bay territory at the 47. Packle. Packer's defensive tackle. Henry Jordan wrapped up Garrett for no gain on first down, and then the Chiefs got a delay of gain call. Burford made his second out-of-bounds catch on the drive. His two ruled incomplete. Dawson then couldn't find receiver Otis Taylor as he overthrew him, and the Chiefs were forced to punt. Punter Gerald Wilson kicked it down to the 5, where Packers running back Donnie Anderson returned it to the 21, and Chiefs linebacker Chuck Hurston got injured on the punt. Pitts took a first-down carry for 3 yards, and then star-fired to tight end Marv Fleming, who bobbled the ball but caught it, Brought it in for first down at the 34 yard line. Starr then avoided the sack and threw the pits again, and he picked up the first down at the Kansas City 43 yard line. Taylor then got tackled for a big loss, Jim Taylor, that is, but Starr got all the ba- yards back and even more whenever he found Carol Dale at the Kansas City 37. And the next play, Star threw over the middle to Max McGee, and he made a spectacular one handed catch and took it to the house for a 37 yard touchdown, the first in Super Bowl history. Chandler made the extra point, and the Packers took a 7 0 lead. So on the next kickoff, Garrett returned it to the 24, but a clipping call set the Chiefs back big time. On first down, Dawson scrambled to the 21 with Ray Nitsky, the linebacker of the Packers, making the tackle. Dawson then threw a quick pass to Garrett, and he got the first down on a measurement. Dawson's next pass for Burford fell incomplete, but Packers defensive back Bob Jeter got called for pass interference on the play, giving Kansas City a first down. Fullback Curtis McClinton carried the ball for four yards. Then Dawson rolled to his left and found tight end Fred Arbanis for a first down at the 49. Garrett pounded up the middle to the Green Bay 42. Then Dawson ran for the first down at the 39. Packers linebacker Dave Robinson wrapped up Garrett for a loss on the next first down play. And that proved to derail the Chiefs' drive. Dawson overthrew Otis Taylor. And then he found tight end Reg Carolyn for uh, short of the first down at the 33. Since the goalposts at the time were on the goal line and not on the end line, that made it just a 40-yard field goal attempt for kicker Mike Mercer. But he missed the kick wide to the left, just missing the left upright. And the first quarter came to an end with Green Bay leading 7-0. to the Packers went three and out, and the Chiefs got the ball back at their own 34. On first down, Dawson rolled to his right under pressure and hit Garrett, and he evaded several tack orders, uh, probably about five or six of them, and made it to the Packers' 49-yard line for a first down. Running back Burt Cohn then took it for a few yards, and McClinton, um, carried it on second down, getting within a yard of the first down. Then Cohn picked up the first down on the next play. Dawson then went long for Otis Taylor, and he hauled it in for a big gain all the way down to the 7-yard line. On first and goal, Dawson fired to his left to McClinton, and he made the catch for a 7-yard touchdown. Mercer's extra point came after that, and the Chiefs tied the game at 7. The Packers got the ball back at their own 27. Pitts ran off left tackle for five yards, and Taylor gained another two yards. Third down, Star fired for Carroll Dale, and he went all the way for a touchdown. But hold the phone. The Packers were called for legal procedure on the play. That wiped out the score. So, Starr in the next play converted the third down anyway by hitting Max McGee for a first down at the 41. Facing third and 10, a few plays later, Starr hit Dale for another first down at the Kansas City 43. Now Taylor ran for Jim Taylor ran for four yards, and Starr had another third down come up, and this time he fired high. For tight end Marv Fleming, who hauled it in for a great catch, for a first down at the 30-yard line or just inside it, and then Starr converted another third down. This time he found Pitts for a first down on the left side of the field at the 14-yard line. That was when Lombardi called for the famous Packers sweep. Guard Jerry Kramer led the way as Taylor took the ball 14 yards off the left side for a touchdown, and the Packers took a 14-7 lead. Dawson was sacked by Henry Jordan and Lionel Aldridge to start the next drive. He recovered, though, throwing to Arbanas for 12 yards, then hitting Otis Taylor for a first down at the 41. The Packers committed pass interference on the next play, But even though they committed the penalty, Burford still hauled in the pass and got a first down at the 32. After the two-minute warning, Dawson paced the third down, and he came close to converting it on a pass to Garrett, but he came up just a yard short. So there was only a minute left in the first half, so Hank Stram decided just to kick the field goal. Mercer made the 31-yard kick, and the teams went to the half with Green Bay holding a slight 14-10 lead. Everyone in NFL country was worried now. The Packers had only that small four-point lead, and Kansas City was getting the ball to start the second half. Could the upset really be about to happen? After a performance by the Grambling Marching Band at halftime, the Packers kicked off, but NBC was at commercial and they weren't ready for it so the Packers had to kick it off a second time and this kick was a lot shorter and Vince Lombardi was furious about this he said he was playing the rest of the game under protest meanwhile Dawson ran for a first down to the 43 and then McClinton picked up five more yards to the 48 it was third and four a couple plays later and Lombardi brought the blitz. It was his big halftime adjustment. He started sending five or six men on every play. This time it was Henry Jordan who got heavy pressure on Dawson, and he just threw it up for grabs, and defensive back Willie Wood intercepted it. He returned the pick all the way down to the Chiefs' five-yard line where Pitts took it in for a touchdown off-left tackle, and in just one play there, the Packers extended their lead to 21-10. Kansas City came right back, though. Dawson threw to Taylor for 12 yards, and after a McClinton run, he found Cone at midfield. So now it was third and one, and the Chiefs were at midfield, so they handed the ball off to Cone, but he was tackled in the backfield by Jeter, Nitsky, and Leroy Caffey. They all combined for the tackle for a loss. Remember that play? The Chiefs now had the punt, and the kick bounced down to the 25-yard line. So the Packers got one first down on a run by Pitts, but Jim Taylor came up short on a third-down run, and then Green Bay had to kick it away. Chandler punted it down to the 27 yard line, but the Chiefs didn't have a chance because the Packers were blitzing nonstop and the Chiefs' offensive line couldn't stop it. Leroy Caffey sacked Dawson back at his own 14 yard line, and then Henry Jordan, Willie Davis, and Ron Kostelnick all combined for another sack back at the two yard line. That set up fourth and 35. The Chiefs were forced to punt it away from there. So then Starr got the ball, and he threw to McGee, and the Packers were already in Kansas City territory at the 48. Then Jim Taylor picked up the first down on a runoff left tackle. A few plays later, it was 3rd and 11, and Starr somehow found McGee in between three Kansas City defenders. McGee got the first down at the Chiefs' 28-yard line. Jim Taylor ran the ball three times in a row from there, and he ended up getting a first down at the 12. Started and threw the ball over in the middle to McGee, and he juggled it before bringing it in for a touchdown. That gave the Packers a 28-10 lead as they went into the fourth quarter. Dawson was still under heavy pressure, as Lombardi was bringing the blitz constantly. Dawson threw two passes in a row that were nearly picked off, and the Chiefs went three and out and punted it away again. Started and made his only mistake of the game. He threw long for McGee, but it was picked off by defensive back Willie Mitchell. So now Dawson fired to McClinton for a first down at the 38 and then he found Burford for another first down at the 48. However, then the Chiefs started going backward, first an illegal motion penalty, then a sack by Willie Davis for a loss of 11. The Packers knocked down the next two passes, and the Chiefs were forced to punt. Starting at their own 20 after a touchback, the Packers put their finishing touches on this victory. Star found Dale for a first down at the 45, a 25-yard gain. Then he fired to McGee for another big gain, all the way down to the 17-yard line. He hit Dale for a short pass to the 12-yard line, and then Pitts got a first down at the five. Jim Taylor ran the ball twice from there, and he got it down to the one, and then Pitts pounded it in off the left side for a touchdown. The Packers went up 35 to 10 and their victory was now assured. The rest of the game was simply garbage time. Both teams emptied their benches with Chiefs backup quarterback Pete Bethard and Packers backup quarterback Zeke Bratkowski getting playing time. Only one player from both teams did not see any game time. And he was a Packer, and he was given the option by Lombardi to get into the game, but he chose not to. This is the answer to today's pop quiz. Who was that one player? The answer is Pro Football Hall of Fame running back Paul Horning. After the season, the Packers left Horning exposed in the expansion draft for the New Orleans Saints. The Saints selected him, but he never played it down in New Orleans. As a side note, Jim Taylor also ended up going to New Orleans after the season but he played only one year for the Saints before calling it quits. Corning and Taylor, of course, were the Hall of Fame running back duo that helped win those championships earlier in the 60s. Now it's time to hand out some awards. Bart Starr was named the game's most valuable player, but who was the next most valuable player? I've got to give it to Max McGee. He caught seven seven passes for 138 yards and two touchdowns, replacing Boyd Dowler off the bench, and all this while suffering a hangover. The stories about McGee have turned into a tall tale. Someday we'll be reading about how McGee tackled a blue ox at 2 a.m. in Los Angeles the morning before the Super Bowl. McGee sadly died in 2007, right in the middle of a magical Packers season. He founded the restaurant Chee Cheese and worked as a Packers radio announcer. Star, the actual most valuable player, threw for 250 yards and two touchdowns, both of them, to McGee. This came after he was named NFL MVP for the regular season making him obviously the first player to win regular season MVP and Super Bowl MVP in the same season. Starr sadly died in 2019, but not before leaving a legacy as one of the kindest men to ever play football. Who is the least valuable player of this game? A player who causes his team to lose. You know there's one in every game you can't get around it. In this case, it was Chiefs defensive back Fred Williamson, nicknamed the Hammer. Williamson gave the Packers bulletin board material when he said he was going to lay the hammer to the Packers receivers and knock them out. In a cruel ironic twist, Williamson himself got taken out on a fourth quarter run by Donnie Anderson. It's not like Williamson was the only reason the Chiefs lost, but boy did he ever fire up the Packers. Who is the most valuable player on the losing team? That award goes to Len Dawson, their quarterback. Dawson played a fine game. He just had no help from his offensive line. He was beaten up, bruised, and blitzed all through the second half as the Packers brought everyone at him. Dawson had his team in position to compete after the first half. He just needed more help. In three years, he'd get that help. The play of the game, that was the third down play early in the second half. Henry Jordan got the Dawson, and Willie Wood picked it off and returned it to the five. The Chiefs were near midfield at the time, trailing only by four. After that play, the Packers scored a one down. Suddenly, it was an 11-point game. That play completely changed the whole game. But what was the best play of the game that no one remembered? That would be the third-and-one play on the Chiefs' next drive. Bert Cohn tried running for the first down, but he was tackled by a gang of Packers, including Kathy, Nitsky, and Jeter. If the Chiefs convert that third down near midfield, they may go down and score and get back in the game. By stopping them, the Packers ended Kansas City's chances. Who is the best player in this game that you've never heard of, most likely never heard of? This has to be a player who most people have never heard of or read about. Again, you probably, maybe you have heard of them, but most people haven't. My pick is Packers defensive tackle Ron Kostelnik. He combined on a third down sack with Jordan and Davis back at the two-yard line, forcing a punt from the Chiefs' own end zone. You've probably never heard of Kostelnik, but he was providing constant pressure Up the middle. Finally, I'm giving you some homework. Your job is to read books on this famous Super Bowl to increase your knowledge of the game. The first book, number one book, I recommend is by author Harvey Frommer. It's called When It Was Just a Game Remembering the First Super Bowl. This is the the definitive work on Super Bowl I, with tons of interviews from players and coaches providing an oral history of the game and everything about it. I doubt there will ever be another book this good about Super Bowl I. But that's not the only one. Also check out the 1966 Green Bay Packers, Profiles of Vince Lombardi's Super Bowl I Champions, edited by George Bozeka. It goes into detail on each and every player on the 1966 Packers, and it also gives a deep in-detail look on the Packers' 1966 season. It's a very good book. You should also pick this one up. Um, For the, the end of the podcast, I just want to say, I almost named this podcast Football with a List because I kind of have a list, and I'm not exactly the best public speaker but I hope you enjoyed this. Yes, I'm reading off a teleprompter. Um, <laughs> that's the only way I can do it. I, I'm not good at ad-libbing. So obviously, yeah, I'm reading off something off my computer. But I hope you enjoyed it anyway. Thank you for joining me for Lombardi Memories. Next time we will. Super Bowl 2. The Green Bay Packers will try for a third straight world championship against the Oakland Raiders in the Orange Bowl in Miami. I will see you in two weeks. Until then, so long.
1: Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear, and if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football, Through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors,
0: authors, and historians, you'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network.
1: How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to